Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you are patiently enduring the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for you that it is unshaken. For we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing of God, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we do come now and we ask by your Spirit that you would use these words of Paul to shape us and mold us, to change us and make us more and more like the Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was thinking about the context of why Paul was writing this specific letter to the Corinthians, a story came to mind from my father's life. You see, in 1995, my dad was working for Sprint Telecommunications, and he had a wonderful employee that was working for him. And he, he thought so highly of this person, and he actually began to mentor this person. And I called my dad, and I asked him about this this week because I wanted to get some of the details straight and clear. But what he, what he kind of shared with me really helps us to understand exactly what Paul must have been feeling like when he was writing this. Because this great and wonderful employee had decided that they wanted to transfer to a different division within Sprint because they wanted to kind of climb the corporate ladder. And so my dad came alongside and he started kind of coaching this person what they needed to ask in the interviews. He connected them with people that they needed to know. He was really putting himself out there to help this person get the job. He thought it was a great candidate, a great fit. Well, the day came for the hiring manager to pick their person, and they didn't pick the employee my dad had selected. 
And in a few weeks, he was served papers for court. My dad, the hiring manager, and then their, their kind of supervisor over the two of them. They were being sued for the wrongful failure to promote. And it would end up being a case that went to federal court before a jury of 12 and would last for two weeks. And my dad was under immense stress. You know, just, just even beginning to think about it and talk about it, I get a little irritated and a little like my blood starts boiling because I know the character of who my father is. I know that he had gone out of his way to help this person. And what he shared with me was how when they got to the courtroom, it was lie after lie after lie that was being told before all these people about him and the other employees. So there was immense stress. He talked about how the lawyer that was representing this employee had brought every disgruntled employee they could find forward to testify. And lie after lie after lie was being told. And my dad said, you know, you would try to look these people in the eyes, people you knew, people that had worked for you, that had worked for you for years. And none of them would look back. You'd be sitting there with all the stress wondering, what is the jury thinking about all of this? These people who don't know me from Adam are hearing countless testimonies that are all false. Every night you would go back to the office and you'd meet with your lawyers and he was telling me like they would go through everything. What was said? Was it true? Was it not true? Are you forgetting something? Here's where we think they're going to go tomorrow with the case. And you're just worried about what's going to happen to my job. What does this mean for my family? My character is being run through the mud. And so my dad just couldn't wait for his opportunity to give a defense. He could not wait to get up and share his side of the story. Well, when that day came, it was a week into the case. And he was able to provide a number of handwritten letters from that employee thanking him for all the help. He had emails in which he had responded to questions of how they should handle the situation. He had voicemails that had all these thank yous. And the judge immediately threw the case out. But the stress and the anxiety of all that was so much. Well, Paul is writing this letter to the second, or he's writing the letter of 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth because as David had explained last week, there were these Judaizers, these false teachers who were going to the church and bringing forward false accusations against Paul. They were saying that there was no way Paul could be an apostle and that they were the true apostles. You know, they had come with those papers, those, those papers or recommendation letters that said, this is, these are the apostles you should be following. They said, Paul doesn't have any letters like this. They had also like accused Paul of being too harsh in his words, but then too weak when he would come in person, that he wouldn't back up what he was saying. But one of the main things that you see if you read through the entire letter in one sitting is that Paul was also being accused of not being an apostle because of the suffering that he had to go through in his life. If you were to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you can read his whole list of all the horrible things he had to go through for the sake of the gospel. But these false teachers were saying that there's no way Paul can be an apostle because of his suffering. And so Paul begins this letter 
with his defense. And he chooses to begin with this idea of suffering and the comfort of God. So let's look at just verses 3 through 7 to begin with. Paul's beginning here because this is important to him. He doesn't want the Corinthians to jump ship and go with these false teachers on the basis of a lie. So Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now start to notice how many times he says affliction and suffering. Who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, so you will also share in our comfort. You know, one of the things that can sometimes be difficult when we're reading through, like, Paul's letters is that we've only got one side of the argument. We aren't hearing exactly what it is that these false teachers are saying. But thankfully, in the Old Testament, we have a wonderful biblical parallel that helps us to kind of get an idea of what the worldview was. And it's from the life of Job. You remember the story of Job. He was a man who lived in the land of Uz who was righteous and holy. Everything in his life was fantastic. You know, he had seven sons and three daughters. He had all the wealth you could want. He had a loving wife. He had fields and flocks and servants. And everything was good, and all of it gets taken away in a single day. You know, Satan comes, and he goes into the throne room of God, and the Lord says, where have you been? What have you been doing? And Satan says to the Lord, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. And he says, well, have you, the Lord says, have you observed my servant Job? He is righteous and blameless, and there is none like him on the face of the earth. And Satan says, well, is that really true? Is he really your man like you say he is? You've put a hedge around everything he has. And if you were to remove that hedge and take everything from him, he would curse you. And so as the story goes, the Lord allowed suffering to come into the life of Job. The hedges were removed and everything is taken away. His fields are burned, his flocks are stolen, his servants are carried away, and his children all die in a tragic accident. Job becomes a man who knows the depths of suffering. But even still, he doesn't curse God. Well, Satan comes again and says, well, you didn't let me touch his flesh. If that happened, surely he would leave you. And so from head to foot, Job is covered in horrible sores. The only relief that he can find is to take shattered pottery and scrape his skin. You know, his wife comes and says, stop holding on to your integrity that you claim to have. Curse God and die. Job's friends come in and they provide us with the understanding of the worldview of the day. They say, Job, what kind of sin are you hiding that has caused this sort of retribution from God? It's that same thing that these 
these so-called apostles are saying about Paul. The suffering that you are going through cannot be a mark of your apostleship because God wouldn't do that to a righteous man. He wouldn't allow that to happen. And Paul is saying, oh no, you do not understand who God is and the ways in which God chooses to work. It's an intense kind of thought, but he's going to point to the fact that there is purpose in pain. That suffering isn't something that just happens to happen, but that God wants to use it in a certain way, and he's used it with Paul. And so look at just some of the things that he says about suffering. In verse 4, he writes about any and all afflictions. In verse 5, he talks about Christ's affliction. You know, in some ways, Paul's circumstances are very different from our own, and it's important to kind of make note of that, right? Paul suffers some things that we don't experience today. Like we aren't, I can, I can say with some confidence that we are going to walk out this afternoon and we aren't going to be stoned and left for dead when we leave church. That we aren't going to be put in prison tomorrow because we've been proclaiming the gospel and meeting together. Some of those things are hard for us to wrap our minds around because those are unique to the context that Paul was in in his day. Those things could come later in our life, but they aren't here now. But what Paul was familiar with that we can relate to are things like deep anxiety over his work. He suffered from lots of illness. Like we, we read in chapter 12, Mr. Leip had preached on chapter 12 a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians about the thorn in the flesh and that there was something chronic that was bothering Paul all the time. He knew friends who had died. You think about some of the other apostles who had been put to death that were his friends, that were his brothers. He knew all those kinds of pains just like we can know. And so Paul, he, you know, he talks about the sufferings for the sake of the gospel, but he also in verse, set, in verse 4 says, any and all affliction. We can deeply relate with any and all affliction. And so what he says in verses 6 and 7 really is that it's suffering isn't unique to any of us. But it's something that we are all going to experience in this life. The circumstances could be unique, but no one is exempt from suffering. And Paul chooses to illustrate his suffering in verses 8 and 9 with one of the most intense moments in his ministry. We read in verses 8 and 9, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we had experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Anyone who has experienced a great degree of suffering can relate to what Paul says when he says the burden is too much to bear. This is too hard for me to get through. They thought that they were dead, that the sentence of death had been given. And so Paul knew that there was pain and suffering, but what he also points out, and really the thing that 
kind of defeats the accusations that his accusers are bringing forward is that there's purpose in pain. There's purpose in suffering and hardship. All of us face it. All of us are born as sons and daughters of Adam. All of us are in a broken and fallen world. And in a broken and fallen world, isn't there enough suffering to go around as it is? But that doesn't mean that there's not purpose in it, that the Lord is going to use it. And so I want to make just two very brief points about that. One is that our affliction, our pain is there so that God can use it to comfort those around us. It's there so that he comforts us and that we can comfort one another. There is a unique and beautiful privilege that comes with that. The fact that he chooses to use our brokenness in our hardest moments so that he can reveal himself and care for others through us. And the second point is going to be that our afflictions are used by God to draw us to himself. We endure great hardships in life so that we would depend and rely on him. And so as I was kind of thinking about these two points and trying to figure out what's a good picture of how this works, when it comes to the first one, that God wants to use our pain and suffering so that when he comforts us, we can offer comfort to others, a man by the name of Nick Vojcic comes to mind. Nick Vojcic was born on December 4th in 1982 and was an absolute medical mystery. He's an Australian that was born without arms or legs. You know, in the months leading up to his birth, his parents, they had gone to all their doctor's appointments. They had checked all the boxes. You know, they were having a very safe pregnancy. Mom did everything she could to stay healthy and in shape. Doctors had done all the ultrasounds. They had done all the blood work. Everything looked perfect on and then on that day in December 4th, when he was born in 1982, it was a shock to everyone in the room. Born without any limbs. He was a man who knew what it was like to suffer because he was born into a fallen world. What he endures and what he talks about, because you can go watch some of his testimonies, it's hard to even begin to imagine what it would be like to be him. He talks about how as he was growing up, like when he was like seven years old, when he was seven years old, he would sit in front of his mirror and look at himself and try to think of one good thing that he could possibly find that he liked about himself. And he couldn't. And in that kind of suffering, he struggled with the temptations to take his life. He wrestled with all those questions of why did this happen to me? How is this fair? Did I do something to deserve this? It was so difficult and challenging. And in some ways, he probably felt like Job in the beginning. When Job started asking God, like, why did this happen to me? Why is this going on? Like, Job doesn't really get an answer. And it wasn't until Nick was a little bit older that he finally got an answer. Someone put a Bible in front of him and opened it up to John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, we read that Jesus was walking into a village with his disciples when they came across a man who was blind from birth. 
And when Nick is telling his testimony about this story, you can imagine how he's thinking and feeling. Like you can really, you can see it on his face. A man born blind. I was born with this or that ailment. And the disciples are just like the accusers that are talking about Paul's suffering. They ask the question to Jesus, Lord, what did, this, what did this man do to deserve this? Was it his sin or was it the sin of his parents? Jesus says in John 9, 3, this is beautiful. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And those words of Jesus changed Nick's life. He saw that there was purpose now in his pain. That God wanted to use the kind of suffering that he was enduring to display the works of God. And for Nick now, he has this amazing ministry called Life Without Limbs where he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, with millions of people. And he does it on a platform that he never would have had if he had been born differently. And people can resonate because all of us at times experience suffering and pain. It's so moving, it's so powerful just to think about how this man who was struggling with wanting to take his life because he saw no purpose in the hard things that were happening had the light turned on. And it's, that's exactly what Paul is saying when Paul uses the words in you know, those earlier verses in, four, in 3 and 4. That God wants to use the comfort he shows us in our pain to comfort others. That's what Nick is doing. And what that means is that when you have suffered and endured something very hard, you have a unique platform to share the love of Jesus with others. And he wants us to do that. And it's, it's a privilege that we get to do that. But also, Paul says that it is to drive us to rely on God. He was, Paul felt like he was at the point of death and the burden couldn't be carried any farther. Well, where is it that you're supposed to turn? When you're at that point, there's only one place left to go. And it's to the Lord. You know, in our sinful, fallen, broken, you know, heart of hearts, if we had the choice, more times than not, we would probably choose to take care of ourselves rather than depend and rely on God if everything was going well. And so in some ways, as a strange gift from God, he brings suffering into our life so that we would depend on him. He offers himself to us in such a way that we can trust him and know him more. And so really, when suffering comes, we are being exercised, or we are being sharpened as a tool for God to use and for us to trust in him. And so the challenge is before us to trust God and to love others. That's really what Paul is putting forward. He's saying, all the suffering that I have gone through, it doesn't, it doesn't check the box for me no longer being able to be an apostle. It's not a result of the fact that I've done some sort of heinous sin. 
It's been something that's happened to me so that I can share with you the love of Jesus Christ all the more. The one who suffered in ways that none of us experienced because of the degree to which he suffered. That's amazing to think about to me. And so for us, you know, or for me as a, as a pastor, I have the unique privilege of seeing this played out in some of your lives, whether I've seen it or I've heard about it. As you've gone through things, as you've had hardships go on, I've seen how it's driven many of you to trust the Lord, to love him more, to lean on him more. And I've gotten to see how a number of you have come alongside each other when things have been difficult and hard. How you've been able to comfort others with the comfort that you've been shown by Jesus. I mean, that's the point, isn't it, of being Christians and being in a church family? Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. So we aren't in the suffering alone. And the suffering isn't without purpose. There's purpose in our pain. And to think that Christ entered into a broken and fallen world to experience all of the pain that he did so that as our confession or as our call to worship said in Hebrews 4, that we would have a high priest who could sympathize with our every weakness. It should drive us to love and know him more. It is motivation upon motivation upon motivation. Well, I'll leave you with these words that were written from Charles Spurgeon in his morning and evening devotional on the evening of November 11th. Spurgeon said this, Remember this one thing. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there instead. Like the temptation for us I'll finish the quote in a minute, but the temptation for us is to want it to end, to want it to be taken away, to wonder why it happened to us to begin with. We do a lot of self-preservation and self-protecting. I know that I do, to try to keep suffering as far away as possible. But what Spurgeon is saying is that if there had been any other better condition for us to have been in than the one we find ourselves in, divine love would have put us there instead. Spurgeon writes, you are placed by God in the most suitable circumstances. And if you had the choosing of your lot, you would soon cry, Lord, choose my inheritance for me, for by my self-will, I am pierced through with many sorrows. Be content with such things as you have, since the Lord has ordered all things for your good. Take up your own daily cross. It is the burden that is best suited for your shoulder and will prove most effective to make you perfect in every good word and work to the glory of God. So, suffering is here until the end. 
And God is going to use it until the end. And we have the future hope of the day when there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, but we will enjoy the fullness of the glory of the Lord Jesus forever. And so until then, trust him and love one another. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus and his willingness to suffer and die on our behalf. And we thank you for this letter from Paul and the encouragement that he gives us that there is comfort and purpose in our pain. We praise you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.